Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Inspired by her own experience nearly destroying herself while rowing competitively in college, The Novice is a thrilling take on the coming-of-age story of our lead character, Alex Dahl. Alex pushes herself to the limit and beyond, alienating everyone around her in the name of success. This is an immersive film. The film is called The The Novice, and it is um, one of the best films I've seen all year. And in terms of just the look of it, the acting, everything about this film just jumps out at you. And we're very fortunate to have with us today the writer and the director of the film, The Novice, and that would be Lauren Hathaway. Lauren, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and talk about this thing that has been four and a half years in the making. So it's finally coming out. Basically referred to it in the in the introduction. I, I have a feeling that I know where the story came from, but at what point in your life did you decide that this, your very personal story, would translate into a story about Alex Dahl and how did that process begin for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, look, I, I wanted to be a director when I was, I was, I wanted to write, I've been writing forever, but I wanted to be a director. I was 15, I saw Kill Bill, I was like, holy, f- I'm gonna be a director. And then fast forward to college, got imposter syndrome, but I loved editing. I've always been doing that too. And I feel like editing really is an extension of the writing process, which I love. And you also do it alone in a room and no one's, you know, breathing over your shoulder for the most part. And then found sound that way. And, and I moved to LA and I had, I had pursued this career in post-production sound, which, which I love. I was doing well for myself and also too, like having this experience. I mean, I grew up in a small Texas podunk town. I was a little redneck, you know, I had this image of, quote unquote Hollywood and everyone's being this huge creative genius and how could I ever do these things and then you get and you work in the industry and I worked with a lot of my heroes directors editors sound people like everyone that I worked with it was just uh, you know there are a couple creative geniuses but for the most part people are just good decent people and doing the hard work and frankly there's some people who I'm like how are you in this room right now who lets you in the door and also seeing kind of how the sausage was made and and um you know being at the ass end of post-production for better or worse you you get to see everything like because you're at the very end and you get to hear what went wrong you get to see the film go from the four-hour assembly down to the the final goes into theaters what they're rewriting what they have to adr to deal with the story uh what scenes are getting cut out what kind of drama is happening with the studio and the notes coming in and how the cut is changing. And so it became this really interesting um, education. And two, my job mostly is dialogue ADR supervisor. Like I worked in the room with directors and actors. And so I had this unique kind of education too, of seeing different directors, a lot of whom I grew up watching their films, how that they work with actors. And so that kind of, all of those things congealing, it, like I hit this point, it was November, 2016. Uh, I set a five-year goal to transition into writing and directing. And because um, I, I felt like I hit this point in my sound career and I realized I was going to be doing, you know, other people's films for the rest of my life. Um, and I was like, I, I think maybe I can do this. And so I revisited that old, you know, 15 year old self goal. And then from that point, I really researched. Uh, I was very active in, in this goal. I'm not someone who just sets a goal and it's like it exists. It's like, no. And now what do I do to, to make it happen? And research the first films of, of a lot of directors and the sort of scope and the scale and the budget and the types of stories and um you, you get this, it's this cliche advice that 
probably anyone has heard, which is you write what you know and write the story only you can tell. And for me, you know, I wanted to tell a story about rowing for a long time. I thought it would be a novel. I also, the themes of grit and ambition to me are things I really relate to. And so I wanted to write my version of the artist, the obsessed artist kind of trope, you know, movie that we see that I love where the hero and the villain are the same person, where there isn't this external force sort of pushing her forward, where it's all this internal drive, which is what I relate to. Um, so I basically took my four years of collegiate rowing and, and 10 years of coming of age and compressed it down into a year. And uh, that's that's kind of the genesis of the novice. This feels like a movie that would be a difficult pitch. Maybe not, but it feels like it probably had had you had to kind of tailor what you were talking to these people about and trying trying to get them to finance it. Um, was it a difficult pitch? Getting anyone to give you money is always difficult. I think the thing that really helped me getting this people interested is, is I put a extensive work in making this lookbook that was pretty um, manic and, and as if Alex Dahl had made it, you know, and capturing the, the tone and spirit of the film and, and, and with what the information I was putting, but the look of it, the feel of it, the aura of this document that I was sending out along with, you know, a white and black script that's pretty boring on the page. So you, you put these two elements together. I honestly think that was a huge component of getting people to pay attention and, and to sort of evoking that I had this vision. And I think the harder thing then specifically this story, because stories of, of women right now, or, or for, for better or worse, it's, it's sometimes a little bit of a, ooh, a, a woman lead, like this is, this is trendy, this is the thing. So people get interested for that reason. But the harder sell, the harder reason, the harder way, like really getting money is difficult because I am a first time feature director. And I think one of my producers kind of said this to me, it doesn't matter how many short films you made either. Like you're still, if you've made 400 short films, you're also still a first time feature director. Right. I didn't have that. But the way I really try to spend it with talking to, you know, pitching to producers and investors is like a couple of things. It's like, look, I have this education in what, what I just talked about, like my education, working with directors, doing all these things and my sort of comfort with the process. I have all of that. I'm sort of able to show with the, the lookbook and kind of my pitch and understanding of the story, like I have a clear vision for it. And then, you know, people who believed in the script. So it was tough for sure. And lots of doors, you know, emails unanswered and phones calls not returned and this and that. But over the course of the producers came on in January 20, 2018, and we started shooting October 2019. So in the span of that time, I mean, it was it was rough, but we scraped by, you know. 2019 to now, that's a quick turnaround. It's, it feels like that was a pretty quick turnaround to get this in theaters in that period of time. So critically important to the film is the casting of Alex Dahl. Was it an open cast? Did you know of Isabel Furman? How did you know you had the right actor to, for this role? Something I learned from a director, I didn't work with this director, but I saw a Q&A with David Fincher and he talked about casting Gone Girl that when he was casting Rosamund Pike, Ben Affleck, he was really looking at who they were as a core of a human being, because that, you know, at the end of a 12, 15 hour day, they're not Ben Affleck and Rosamund, they're not these characters, they're themselves, basically, you're just exhausted. And, he, you know, he's thinking, you know, Ben Affleck brought this baggage of his history to this role, Rosamund Pike, he couldn't figure out who she was as a human being, but that ended up being perfect for this, this anyone who's seen the movie, read the book, you know, like, he's like, that's perfect for this role. And that was something that stuck with me. And that was, I don't know what year that Q&A was when the film came out but stuck with me all the way to casting this film because I hadn't done this process before. 
And so I took that to heart. And, and the, the process was we had a, an LA casting director. We also had a Toronto casting director and a real people casting director. Um, but we only had the money really to cast kind of the leads uh, out of LA. And um, I got a bunch of tapes, audition tapes, and was watching through the ones. And, and Isabel's sort of the scene, I had given the casting directors two scenes. I was only getting back one scene from everyone. And I, and I, was, I didn't know why. Isabel was one who did both scenes that I had sent, you know, come to find out later, the casting directors had only sent one scene out to everyone, but Isabel had intuitively try hard, you know, saw this other scene and thought it'd be great and did it extra. So she had this like extra kind of drive to her and her audition was incredible. I mean, she interpreted the scene. It was like half the people kind of misinterpreted it and other people got it right. And then she was also just nailed both of them. And she had all these props in her audition tapes. And she wrote me this letter and she talked about running this uh, relay race with her friends to Las Vegas. And she had this broken wrist and had all these like photos and whatever. And, and then when I met her in real life, you know, she had this binder and she had printed everything out, the lookbook, the, the script and had all these little tabs and notes. And she was disarmingly peppy and um, like full of life and, and jovial and energetic and not yet destroyed by the world, uh, despite these these roles that she plays, you know, orphan, she's known for most. Um, but, you know, I could see in her that she had like this kind of thing that was going to be so necessary for this character. There's this going above and beyond uh, this neurotic thing. And she's commented before, like she reread the letter recently. And she's like, man, I could have written a better letter. And I'm like, look, Isabel, it wasn't about what was in the letter. It was that she wrote this letter. Like she had, yeah, she had tape like photo. It looked very much like something like a 17 year old girl, you know, would write to their crush. But like, I, it was the fact that she had done this. And so these all elements were, were her. And, and I also told her too. And I, and I knew that with the running, like she had the physicality, because it was very clear to the producers, to, you know, actresses, it was like, there are no doubles. You, this is not a sport you can pick up in an afternoon. Like you, this, you're waking up at 5 a.m. It's going to be fucking brutal. So you need someone who is resilient, who has the energy to do that, the drive to do that, um, and can, can fucking go through and do it. And her, her sort of jovial energy and things too, ended up being so important on set because she's in every fucking shot in every scene. There's no days off. Um, and it's freezing cold. It's winter in Canada and everyone's looking to me and Isabel basically to decide how they should feel. So if Isabel's going in the water and freezing cold and still smiling, everyone else is like, okay, I guess it's really not as cold and miserable as it is because she's fine. So therefore I'm fine. Yes. But she embodied the character and she just has control of her craft. And I mean, I could go on and on and on about her. But yeah. She's, she's so great. Just, she's fantastic. By the way, we're speaking with director, writer, Lauren Hathaway. You also are part of the a lot of other things. You were also part of the editing, I believe. Do I have that mm -hmm. right? Yeah, co-edited yeah. with uh, Nathan Nugent. Yeah, and uh, again, we've talked about the movie, the, the storyline, basically, but nonetheless, maybe we should touch on that a little more than we have in terms of what Alex is trying to do. She's trying to make she's she's trying to make the team as a mm -hmm. novice, and then later on, she's trying to make the varsity. And I was as I was watching the film for the second time, I was writing down notes on just her personality, what she was about and her, obviously her drive is a huge part of it. And the first thing I wrote down was that she was transactional. And then I, as I'm watching the film, I'm thinking, no, she's not transactional. This is all internal. It, there's a transactional aspect to her personality. She is looking to do something, but it's not the things that most people would be looking for money or power or a new job or whatever it is. It's all inside of her. And that's one of the things I felt so this I find so compelling about her is we don't get a lot of backstory on her. We really don't have very much other than what we see in front of her 
from the first time moving forward. Very little about other things outside of her life, except her. We're, and that's, I found that to be the fact that you could make her so compelling. The fact that you were able to pull us into her life is really pretty remarkable given what I just said. And would you agree or disagree? She was not transactional in her, in her dealings, but there is an element of that. She's, is it, what is it? What is that sort of dynamic? How, how would you describe it? I mean, I think that she is someone who finds purpose through the challenges and she's got a, a checklist in her head, or maybe she probably has one written down, quite frankly, where she's these things she wants to do is like, we meet her. It was important to me that her world feel insular and, and everything. Like she has a mother, she has friends, she's capable. She can go to a frat party. Like she right. can get drunk. She's not like a creature, but she right. chooses to be one. And I think that she does check these things off of like, I'm going to go to a frat party. I'm going to have a one night stand. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. It's just like, she's trying to have these experiences and accomplish. And I described her in my lookbook as a conquistador. Like she's just trying to conquer life basically one thing at a time. So you're right in the sense that there is sort of this transactional element because she's just like plowing through almost robotically. So, um, but it isn't really about, and that's the thing too, is, is, is a, you know, I, I didn't want this to be a story of she's not trying to, this is a rowing team that no, no one at the school even really knows about. They're not winning races, really. No one's going to the Olympics on this team. Like she's not doing it for, for really any other reason, this is an internal drive. And so, so, so yeah, I mean, this isn't, she, and then that's what people can't kind of comprehend really. And that's the thing that I wanted to explore. Yeah. She internalizes almost everything. And some of it, comes across in certain points in the film as paranoia, but almost everything is borne out that she thinks is happening. I mean, and you, and you, as you described her earlier, she is the kind of the, the, uh, the hero and the villain in, in some ways in the film because of this internal world that she's expressing outwardly. She does become somewhat of the author of her own demise in some ways, but she's true to herself. And I think that's the other thing that I, I felt watching her was whatever it was she was doing, whether we thought it was, we as the audience thought it was a good idea or not, she was true to herself. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for better and worse too, I, it is this case too. I mean, this is a little bit, you know, off tangent what you're saying, but I also she's got these other people in her life sort of telling her to slow down. She has a roommate, she has her mother, she has who we never meet because that's important. I didn't want her, I don't want her to leave this bubble, but she has Danny too. And it's this case of, um, you know, you can't help someone who doesn't want to help themselves and people aren't going to change. They, they have to want to change. And Alex, it's, I wanted to also show that she's not, it's not that people aren't seeing her going through this thing. It's like she herself doesn't want to, she's like, I, I fucking am doing my thing. And this was me very much. I mean, Alex is a proxy of my sort of 18 to probably 25 year old self of this very kind of cutthroat, ambitious, robotic, clinical, not valuing human relationships, not valuing um, kind of, you know, the textures of life of eating well and, and, and enjoying and relaxing and all those things. Like she's very clinical, but, but yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's the only person she is really trying to satisfy is herself. And I think that drives people insane, uh, both in the film and some people, you know, I think some people too, who watch it are, are going to be frustrated by it, quite frankly. And that, and I'm okay with that. I think, you know, going into making this film, uh, I knew that you know this isn't going to connect to everyone. Some people aren't going to get it, and that's totally okay. I loved her. I mean, honestly, I really, honestly, I don't know if I would say I'm like her, but I just, I, I just was so drawn to her, and and it's her character as you as you've written it and as we see in the film. But I just thought that um, Isabel did a fantastic job 
of walking that very fine line. Her competition with Jamie in the film. That's the other thing. The film has this beautiful and amazing look. It is a, it, it's a sensual. I thought what you got out of your the, the look of this film, it's very yeah sensual. It's very tactile. It's very connected to kind of the elements, water. You know, there's just a lot here that I really found so attractive. Your use of, of the songs in the film are very strategic and really play out in terms of the characters and their, their interactions. There's, there's so many technical things about this film that, that are so, um, so well done and pull us into the story of what Alex is trying to do with her life. And uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the sound design because this is part of your background uh, in, in just just how important it was for you to get to get it right, it, the look of it, to get that right, because this is a film also that punches way above its weight in terms of the look and feel of it, in terms of what we would see in a much higher budget film. Um, how important was that, those those elements and getting those right for you, especially sound? I can't imagine it was, wasn't it? I mean, so important. And, and look, I, I, I say this all the time. So my, my, one of my producers rolled his eyes and makes fun of me, but it, he also agrees. It's like sound is half the cinematic experience. Yeah. Um, when you are watching the film, you are watching and you are listening. And I know for a fact from having, you know, gone, gone to film school and no one gives a shit about sound and it's all, you know, whatever. And then you, and then even working on films, like all the way from indies up to fucking behemoth blockbusters, Oscar films or whatever, people aren't thinking about sound as a creative tool in the way that they could or should. And the thing too, is it is a relatively cheap tool. Like you don't need to have 1000 extras. You need to see 10 people and you need to hear 1000 people. Like something is as simple and, you know, clinical as that, like, but for me, yeah, I mean, everything, the visuals and the sound, everything became this, I wanted to tell the subjective experience of one, you know, showing 99% of people who watch this film, I don't know anything about rowing. So one, and, and everyone, people are like, oh, row, and I don't even watch rowing because it's so graceful and beautiful. And I just went to a regatta recently, you watch it, they're racing full speed. And I know I've been in that boat, you're dying, you're about to pass out, you want to throw up, you want to scream. But when you watch it, you're like, wow, this looks so beautiful. This is serene, like, you know, this ducks and the beautiful sky. So I wanted to evoke what it actually feels like to be in that and also evoke what it feels like to be in kind of obsession. And so there's two ways to do that because you're with film, you can do it with the visuals and did that at times with things like, you know, the, the rowing experience, this is not your average inspirational sports film. I mean, it is very kind of, it gets dark and gritty and some people have even sort of said that it evokes horror at times, but you know, the we having spotlight, have everything else fade away to black and this kind of creepy, um, in one of the films that I, I, I comped to, to Todd, uh, the DP about this was um, Under the Skin, Under Her Skin with Scarlett Johansson and yeah. this weird fucking film. Like I wanted scenes to feel like that at times. And with the sound too, like to show like she's so obsessed. Everything else is times where there's people talking to her and their voices fade away and they're muffled or whatever. And you get to focus the, the audience's attention and show them what Alex is thinking and feeling by what you're doing with the sound. So that was absolutely imperative. Some of the sound design elements were written at the script stage and other ones were sort of discovery along the way, but that was always kind of meant to be a thing. And the sound, you know, I, I joke, I hope I don't have to go to back to sound as a first career. If I do, it's a great backup career, but I certainly want to drag everything that I learned in that career. And I love about it kind of with me going forward into film. And I hope too being able to talk about this film that other up and coming filmmakers or filmmakers will start thinking about sound in a way that they really aren't. I know that they aren't. I love the opening shot of, I don't know who's in the boat as we see in the very beginning of the film, but it looks like a compass. It reminded me of, it reminds me of a compass, like 
and it's and it's shifting kind of the compass part. Again, I don't know if that was your intent, but I thought, well, this is interesting. <laughs> right. You're right. It wasn't intentionally. No, I mean, and that's just something too. Like I made this sort of, um, I guess, a proof of concept mood vignette. I was around with drones. I wanted to see in 2017 how feasible drones were to, to work with because shooting on the water is a nightmare. And the actress I had used for this little thing at one point, you know, we were just playing around with drones and she leaned back in the single and um, cause I, the single was one thing when I was rowing that I never really mastered. And Isabel and Amy did way more with it than I ever did in my rowing career, but she leaned back and, and there was something really tranquil about this. And I was like, holy fuck. And so that shot is something I discovered in 2017 that we, I wanted to recreate um, this time around. Yeah. I mean the, the feeling, cause the other thing I want to capture, I mean, there's the horror of the rowing element, but I also wanted to capture kind of the beauty of it, but there's also something eerie about rowing is like you're on the water, you're isolated or obsession. I mean, you're in this sort of, you're in the zone, you're isolated, you're all by yourself and this kind of like spiraling thing. I mean, that film, that shot was initially meant for later in the film and it, it became, cause when I was thinking about the opening, it was initially written as, some, written as something different, a scene that isn't even in the film. It's like, what is a shot? What is what is the opening that can evoke the entire film in a single shot? And it is it is that to me, like yeah. the look and the feel. And then finally, when we, the score came, the score was the one thing about the film that didn't click for me until the 11th hour. Like that was the one thing I never had a clear vision on, but putting in that track, I actually discovered, because um, initially I had much more, I, I, I re-temp scored the film probably three or four different times, which is a shit ton of work if anyone's ever done it. Um, tried all different things out and then one day I was driving I was learning French during the pandemic and um, was only listening to French music and was so sick of the French language at this point I put on this um, playlist with movie soundtracks and the song from the farewell came up and the farewell is nothing like the novice but I heard this song and the, the the kind of plucky nature of it and suddenly it all clicked in my head and I imagined that spiraling shot with the song playing and I was on this drive I turned around went straight home I cut like seven minutes out of the film I retemped the whole uh, score of the whole film using uh, Alex Weston, mostly his music. Um, and it finally, like right before all the festival deadlines, finally the film felt right to me for the first time. And I sent Alex Weston, the composer, this, this manic, insane, probably email, like, you gotta come on board, you inspired me. And he tells the story from his end. He's like, yeah, it's just like a Friday. I was just chilling at home, not nothing going on. And I get this email and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I, but from my end, I was like, you gotta and you gotta oh so um yeah i don't know why i'm on this tangent but yes uh, awesome well thank you thank you for this film thank you for the novice you mentioned todd i'll say todd martin is the cinematographer alex weston as you mentioned as the uh, composer for the soundtrack and the, the the music all of it everything about this film the editing as we've been talking about the sound as well the writing the acting every everybody you mentioned amy Forsyth. Uh, and also Delon, uh, Jonathan Cherry, Kate Drummond, Charlotte Oven, and so many more. Everybody is just perfect as, in terms of just the, the character development and their place in the story. And my congratulations to you, Lauren Hathaway, for your work. And I know you're going to be doing more films, so you may you may have some doubt, but I have I'm certain that you'll be you'll be working. <laughs> Yeah, I keep telling everyone these days, it's like having kids in the 1800s, you have to have like 10 because you don't know how many are going to make it to adulthood. So I certainly have a lot of children uh, that I'm nurturing right now. Let's see which ones, um, you know, actually cross the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lauren Hadaway, for your time here on Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 